Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Petum here as always. And of course, we're here to talk all things Aston Villa Football Club with a one all draw away at the London Stadium against West Ham United. Villa's bogey team, I'd have to say the least. I don't know if it's self-proclaimed or just obvious to everybody else, but it feels like it's been absolute eternity since we've beaten West Ham. And I can't think of the last time aside from the draw on the final day to stay up several seasons ago but of course I'm not here by myself because who wants to listen to just me ramble on I do have Mr. Simon O'Regan here as well so we'll kind of flow through the game here I do want to talk about um, Villa's uh, on loan players as well because they've been striking it hot in the championship as of late and we'll finish off with a little bit of uh, Villa women chatter as well because it's really coming up all things Villa as of late outside of the pitch from the men's side and everywhere else too so uh, why not kind of throw everything into one bowl mix it up and see what we come out with by the end of this podcast. I do also want to mention, I need to make kind of more of a habit of this, of course. Uh, Feel free, and if you want to do so, uh, leave us a positive review on Spotify, Acast, Apple uh, Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. It's just very much appreciated, and um, hopefully we can give away a uh, Villa shirt prior to the end of this season. Um, So if you want to leave some reviews there, it'd be very, very much appreciated. Stay tuned more to come for that as we get closer to the finale of the season in a few months. But like I said, we do have Simon here with me. So Simon, I'll shut up. How's it going for you? Uh, Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Just getting over uh, another bout of COVID. So that's not great, but at least Villa didn't make it a terrible weekend. I mean, I've seen some some people a bit annoyed on on Twitter with the results, and you know, you, you may have looked at it, West Ham's position on the table beforehand and sort of the form of the two teams, and, and think it should be it was an opportunity for a win, and it was. But at the end of the day, I still think that we're in a position where a point away from home, in the Premier League, is is a good result. So. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not overly not overly upset with, with the result to be honest. Would you say like in regards to some of the stuff on social media you saw, and I was thinking this as well, so I wanted to kind of start with this. It's it's kind of interesting how you see other Villa fans getting frustrated at this result. Of course, Villa could have been more clinical, but to be fair, West Ham could have as well. Do you think that's a kind of a sign of progress that we're actually frustrated at drawing to West Ham under Unai Emery or do you think it's you know what it's it, it's just people being the same old same old yeah it's uh I suppose it, it depends how positive a spin you want to put on a reaction like that you you could make the argument like you said that it's a it's a sign of the progress we're making um I have a rather more cynical view of it and I just think that it's it's a sign of there seems to be, over the last few years, a 
what seems to have creeped into, and it's not just Villa fans, it's fans of pretty much all teams. They almost, I think some people feel that their team like should be winning every single game. And I think sometimes fans forget that there's actually an opponent that you're playing against and, and they might, you know, be trying to win the game too and doing stuff to, to make it difficult for you to win. So I, I kind of, some sometimes I do get a bit annoyed when, when you see people saying, oh, you, you know, we, we should be winning this game, should be winning this game. Look at the results from this weekend. Bournemouth beat Liverpool yesterday. Now, obviously you would expect Liverpool to go and win that game. But no team in the Premier League has a divine right to go and win any football match. You know, it's it's not as easy as saying we should be beating these. So if we don't beat them, it's a disaster. I I, I don't subscribe to that at all. Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird one. Like you do sit back and look at it, and I kind of when I when we anytime we play West Ham, I always kind of reflect on it over the last few seasons because. Really, it it feels like under Dean Smith and even under Steven Gerrard too, it was, okay, it's time for Villa to take the next step. West Ham are doing very well. They're playing European football. This is a kind of a a parameter of where we want to be. So this is a good kind of a a measure up of how far we can go. And of course, we've came up short every really single time since then. Um, And it's almost for me this kind of result and even just playing West Ham considering the bit of mess that they're in right now and whether Moyes finishes it out for the season or not and whether they stay up which is I'm assuming they will to be honest I think there's much poorer sides than West Ham and I think they will be fine eventually but it's uh I feel like some people and I can admit at times I get like this too Simon we just kind of get caught up looking at the table and thinking well you know what, they're, I, I don't even know how many points they were behind us before the game, to be honest. I think it was probably, what, over 10 or roughly 10. So we think, well, you know what, we should do them over quite easily. But realistically, like you said, Bournemouth beating Liverpool. Um, I mean, there's been other results over the last few weeks that have been a little bit of a surprise. You look at Everton, Southampton getting a number of clean sheets and decent performances drawn against United today, of course, we're recording on Sunday as well. It's a, uh, I don't know, it, it, it's not a, a bad point whatsoever. I think for anything, it, it's a it's a building block, isn't it? We're on the way up regardless. Yeah, but it's it's another away game that we, we haven't lost. You know, since since Emery's come in, I think, is it six or seven away games now that we've played and we've only lost the one to Man City? I believe um, so. So, yeah, so it's, yeah, like you say, you can, can look at the table and... You know, obviously West Ham are struggling this season. That's why they're seventeen. But they've still got good players in in that in that team. You know, they they finished what top six, top seven the last couple of seasons. So they they are a team full of capable players. And as I said before, if you're a mid-table team, which which is what Aston Villa are, a point away from home in the Premier League is is a good point. Like that that was when I was growing up. Going back back in my day, like the, <laughs> the, the the idea was that you know you try and win your home games, and and if you can nick a point or the odd win away from home, you know that that's that's a really good result. A point away from home, and you know, like you say, West Ham, we've really struggled against them uh, since we've come back up to the Premier League. So it's not an easy place to go. I mean, I know when we did the um, the Twitter Spaces on Thursday. 
we were kind of saying that we were worried about how confident we were because you do you do get lost with your team's current form and the team you're playing. You you look at the table and that it can skew you a little bit. But you know they've they've had some some decent results this season. They I think they drew with Chelsea a couple of weeks ago, or maybe even beat Chelsea. I can't quite remember a couple of weeks ago. So you know it's it can be a tough place to go there. And, you know, like I say, I'd, a point away from home in in the Premier League is, is not to be sniffed at, especially when you think how dreadful we we were for twelve months away from home. Oh, absolutely, and it's I, I feel like it kind of continues that narrative as well, Simon. Under Unai Emery, it's almost like we're kind of putting some of these demons um, to the side and surpassing it and rising above it. Of course, like I said, it's only a draw against West Ham, so it's not kind of completely slaying that demon or that mental hurdle per se. But I mean, really, he's corrected a lot of things since he's come in. I mean, what the first uh, game in charge against Man United, and let's be honest, at home we never beat Man United. Um, I mean, the list kind of goes on and on. We've scored in every single game under Unai Emery um, since he's been here. I'm not counting friendlies as well, but <laughs> regardless of that, I, I know some people might be stats nerds and they'll throw that in there because we lost one nil to Villarreal in a friendly. Um, well, I think it was mid December, but. Um, I think that's massive. You look at Ollie Watkins. I think he's he has six goals in his last seven games. He took that goal uh, today very very well. It came from absolutely nothing. Um, it, it's really all positives. Three uh, three games unbeaten, one goal conceded in the last three. Um, it's again like I've said, and we're starting this off very positive, which is nice. But it's kind of all coming up Unai Emery in a very positive manner, and it and it's good to see. And it's funny how. I think I saw something yesterday and I don't know if it was the Villa report Twitter account or whatever it was. And there was a, some quotes coming from Emery in terms of um, how he trains and all the video analysis he does. And it, it, it's funny because realistically, yes, he kind of, I wouldn't say goes overboard, but he goes very in depth and players acknowledge that. And they've mentioned that in the media. But the one thing I, I find funny is just, some of it is very basic, and I don't know if you find this funny, Simon, but it, it's like it just didn't happen under Steven Gerrard. Like, there was no clear identity or training uh, mythology that really carried over. And it's funny how even doing or being, I guess, maybe the uh, the basic mindset of, of a decent manager can actually pick you up points. It's funny how that works, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's in a way... It's- it's actually quite worrying how how the Gerrards get the job in the first place, really. I mean, you you sort of you mentioned the fact we scored in every game under Emery since he's come in. I also think we're the only Premier League team now in this calendar year to have scored in every game as well. Um, when you think before he came in, we'd scored seven goals in eleven games, and our previous manager was saying we need to rely on a bit of magic from someone. <laughs> that 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 was his solution to our goal scoring problems is we need a bit of magic from someone. And then you get a manager in who, like you say, it sounds like it should just be basic stuff, but patterns of play, you know, doing one on ones with with players and stuff like that. And, you know, like you say, though we've scored in every game since so he's come in and we, and we we look like a genuine goal threat. I, I saw um I think it was yesterday or the day before. It was a, a 
a few there's a video f- uh, flying around that uh, Emmy Buendia had been had done like a little interview with Sky Sports, and he he was saying that uh, Emery kind of you know he does obviously stuff you know big big team meetings with everyone, but then a lot of individual stuff. And Buendia was saying that with him personally, they've been working a lot on the positions to pick up to and um, how and when to arrive into the box to try and create and get goals, and you just you get the feeling that that stuff, well, I mean, it, it wasn't happening because we're all watching <laughs> the games under Gerard and we're all coming away from them going, what are they meant to be doing? And, you know, it's it's, it's amazing what a proper coach can do with a talented group of players, isn't it? Well, it, it's kind of funny because, of course, this is, I, I'm going to reference Steve Bruce, which, of course, was the championship day. So it's it's different caliber within uh, the Premier League and the Championship, of course. So if you want to give Gerard some slack there, but I, I remember seeing quotes coming out after uh, Steve Bruce left, basically saying that training was just a giant kickabout. But to be honest, it felt like we probably would have got more out of that than under Gerard. But regardless of that, <laughs> let's not make this a, a, a Gerard hate fest. I did see something nah. that apparently he might be linked to think with like the Trasbons board job or something like that. So um, wherever Trezeguet is... Um, all I can say is Trez run um, if, if that is the case, because you're going to have to find another move because there's not going to be wingers there in six months. Um, but getting on to the game itself, of course, getting a little bit more specific. Like I said, Ollie Watkins scored in the 17th minute, assisted by Moreno, which was a very excellent cross. The whole passage of play really came from nowhere, but a nice knotted on header to beat. Areola in net to put Villa up 1-0, but that didn't last very long because not even 10 minutes later, uh, Sad Ben Rama scored in the 26th minute via a penalty. Leon Bailey, I don't know, being naive is, the, I guess, the word to say because really he didn't touch him, but if you're going to make any sort of contact in the box and even show them that bit of space to move back onto their proper foot, they're going to go down. It's an incredibly soft penalty. I'm sure you agree, Simon. But like I said, if you're going to give him that space and then even make that effort to even half lunge in, you're going to pay for it, aren't you? I get what you're saying. For me, it's it's just not a penalty. It, it, it isn't. It, I, I, I get the point that you, you, you can make, you can say, yeah, he, he's, he's possibly being naive by giving him the chance to throw himself to the floor and then give the referee, you know, the opportunity to give a penalty. But it, it's not a foul. Like it's just not a foul. They 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 make they make contact with each other, but you get that in the box, you know, that happens all the time. It's I I think it's it's a really, really bad decision. I, I don't know if you've seen any of the uh the Newcastle Wolves game this afternoon. But there was an incident in there where Nick Pope absolutely oh, yes. cleans out. <laughs> and like yeah, so I mean, how the hell is is West Ham's penalty and and that one isn't like it just? I mean, you you will get people saying, and and you know there may be some merit to the argument that you know he he, he was a bit clumsy, a bit naive, but it's just because there's contacts, it doesn't mean it's a foul. You, you know they, that contact is not pushed him over, not forced he's dived he, he has dived to get that penalty and um the more when I first saw it I was I was annoyed and then I saw a replay and I thought oh Leon maybe you've been a bit clumsy and then I've kind of I, I watched you back again a couple of times and 
yeah, I, I'm I'm quite annoyed with that one to be honest. I I really think that's he's he's treated for me. I think he's treated. I, I think it's it's similar to what Greedish did the other week against True. us. You know, there there is some contact does not I mean does not equal foul. No, in in the area, it's got to be contacts that that actually causes someone to go down or, or to have a foul and. You know, all the pundits and everyone, they'll argue he's just been clever, like they argue Greenish has been clever. But it's for me, it's that is cheating and it's not, it's not a penalty and they've got away with one. Well, see, I think that's kind of been the issue now. Becoming clever or saying someone's clever has now literally exemplified that almost cheating is okay. Um, <clears throat> of course, it's these things, let's be honest, these things have happened since like football began let's be honest like there's always been questionable calls and things players get away with in one facet of the game or the other but it is not a penalty but for me at the same time I just felt like like again it it like it does not help Leon Bailey whatsoever in terms of his Villa career and it probably puts the agenda even further against him in some Villa fans mind but for I don't know. It's just, it, it's, it's a frustrating one because it feels like anytime you even brush against another opposition player in the box, you're going to pay for it. But saying that it's also massively ironic that that is called, but then literally every other corner, whether it was for us or against West Ham was an absolute wrestling match. The amount of times I saw and Villa were guilty of this as well. Uh, Buendia literally was like wrapped around Ings. Um, I'm pretty sure I saw Rice literally just like manhandle, like, I don't know if it was Louise or whoever it was and put him on the ground at one point. Um, it, it, it's funny how that's okay from a corner, but from open play, which would never be called if it was outside the box gets called. But yeah, regardless of that. And of course, we all know the whole thing with Buendia kind of going down in rice. And then there's a bit of handbags after that, which is always good to see. I like a little bit of a bargy fest and a little bit of <laughs> pushing in saying that they're ugly or they have a big nose, whatever, probably very poor, um, I guess, disses that they lay up. But Regardless of that, I think it speaks to a wider issue within English football, and that is refereeing. I mean, I think there was something in the Arsenal game earlier as well. I can't remember which player it was. He literally tripped over his own feet, and he got a free kick for it. Like, there wasn't even a player near him. Um, Yeah, so if one thing's given like that, and then someone trips themselves, and they're given a free kick, I I think it probably calls into question even more um, how as to how poorly officiating is and how it gets fixed. I guess it's not our job to do it, but hopefully one day it does get better. But regardless of that, Simon, I mean, kind of going into the rest of the game, Villa were very solid, I would have to say. There, there was a few instances where West Ham went on the break. Villa did as well. Of course, Watkins had one from Ramsey that was kind of a, a low pass into the box that he redirected on goal. Ariola made a good save. I think Duran made a similar kind of effort very close um, inside West Ham's box, and Ariola came up big again. So it's not like Villa didn't really have the chances and neither did West Ham. But I guess at the end of the day, do you think a point's fit more than fair? Yeah, I'd say on the balance of play, um, you, know, you look at like you've just sort of talked through the chances that both teams had. You know, both both teams did have good chances to score and whether through poor finishing or good goalkeeping, have a, you know, you want you want to slice that one up. It's, I'd, I'd say, it's, yeah, it's probably probably fair enough. I mean, sort of looking at the stats, we had a lot more of the ball. They had more shots and more corners. So 
Yeah, you'd, you'd say probably a draw is a fair result. And like we said, at, you know, right at the start, personally, I, I think it's a decent point. Take it and move on to, to Bournemouth next week. Well, I think that's the thing too. And I, I think a lot of people were massively concerned without Bubakar Kamara, of course. McGinn's um, slid back and played uh, very closely to Louise, who I thought Louise actually had a very uh, good game today. But I mean... Uh, essentially we're sacrificing a massive portion of how Villa play through the midfield. And that's Kamara. I mean, the man can literally do everything, but (laughs) going into Bournemouth, of course, and then having a bit of international break, apparently it doesn't sound like it's as serious as it was reported in regards to his injury. So hopefully we see him um, after the international break and he can rest up and come back. The one thing I do want to say as well, before uh, we do move on is brilliant to see, um, um, oh my god, what was I gonna say? I was gonna say Diego Costa, Carlos, <laughs> Diego Carlos, um, onto the bench, of course, didn't feature, but it, it's so nice to see him back on there. And I mean, who knows if we're gonna get the same player, right, Simon? But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a step in the right direction, yeah. Well, I mean, you say if we get the same player, I mean, we don't know what that same player is, he only plays. One and a half games or two games for us, didn't they? So, um, no, nah, I mean, to be, like, to be fair, it's, it's a serious injury that he's come back from, but I'd, you'd, you'd like to think in you know, modern day sort of uh, doctors and physios that the clubs have that the, you know, the recovery would have been spot on. And yeah, the fact that he's even on the bench, you know, is a really, really good sign. And I, I reckon you probably after the international break, maybe you'll start seeing him a bit more. But I'd assume over the next week or two, certainly during that two-week international break, they'll probably have a couple of sort of behind-closed-doors games just to get... That's all he'll need now is match fitness to get back into the pace of it. But at least at least he's coming back into a team in, in a good, healthy position. Just just imagine the situation he, he could have been coming back into. Oh, absolutely. It, I mean, kind of on on him in particular... I mean, looking past Bournemouth here quickly, and then we'll get to the three-word reviews on Twitter here in a moment. Um, but realistically, I don't expect him to feature against Bournemouth. I'd be shocked even on April 1st when we come back against Chelsea. I would expect him, maybe he comes on for a few minutes, maybe not. Again, like you said, maybe there's a, a few friendlies that'll be booked to allow him to get some minutes to ease him back in. But, I mean, Villa are coming into a very crucial run in really... Um, into April, you, of course, you have Chelsea, then Leicester, Forest, uh, Newcastle, Brentford, uh, Fulham, and then United to even cap a very busy April. So there's a lot of games to be played there. We're going to have to have some rotation. But, I mean, everyone, as soon as we even heard the possibility um, of him even being on the bench, I did see the discussions start to happen again about who he comes back in for, who does he replace, Ezri Konza had his arguably best game under Unai Emery today, in my opinion. He was moving the ball excellently well, um, defended well, didn't really have uh, too many issues and dealt with everything rather comfortably. I mean, we all know what happens when we don't have Ming. So, I mean, out of those two, I mean, who would you sacrifice at this point of view or point in time? Um, well, that's assuming that that's one of them will be sacrificing to come in to be fair because like you said the two of them are playing quite well at the moment so the, I, don't, I don't think that you necessarily even when Carlos is fit again and like fully match fit that doesn't necessarily mean you've got to jump him straight into the team however 
if he is going to be coming into that team, I, I mean, I, and I really do rate Conza, but I, you'd have to take him out because you, I, you just, we are so much worse when Tyro Mings is not in that team. I, I don't, with the current options we have at centre back, you have to have Tyro Mings in that team. He's a leader. Here he, he offers a balance as well with the left foot. I just, yeah, I, we're so much worse when he's not there. So if you're going to replace one of them, if you're going to be starting Carlos, then I think Conza comes out of that team. But, you know, the, the thing is, though, a lot depends on who your opponents might be because I, I wouldn't be surprised if certain games, you know, depending on the opposition, Conza could be used as a right back, as he has been before. Yeah, that's true as well. I mean, and realistically, there's no shame in even saying that maybe Diego Carlos doesn't come right back in. And I mean, he's never played under Unai Emery as well. So who's to really say that anything changes? It's, I mean, for once, when you look at it in terms of our depth chart, it just gets that much stronger. But you are yeah. right in saying too, I mean... <clears throat> Mings cannot be dropped. I don't care what any what any Mings hater says. I mean, the lack of leadership um, that is missing at that back end when he is out missing, it's astronomical and it's yeah. so obvious from minute one. But at the same time, like you said, with, with Konza, I mean, he can play right back when needed. And depth's always been a, a massive issue for us at the right back position for as long as I can remember, at least. So it's good to really have that option. And let's be honest, like I just said there, we have, what, how many games in April? Yeah, April is very busy, isn't it? Yeah, so there's going to be rotation regardless. There's midweek games. Um, Like just even looking at it quickly, between Chelsea and Leicester, there's like three days, four days between uh, Leicester and Forest. Uh, Then it kind of goes back to seven. And then uh, between Fulham and um, United, it's only five. So there's going to be some rotation there too. And there's going to be opportunities to put um, Diego Carlos back in there and to succeed without risking injury, hopefully. And like I said before, who knows? And of course we only played for a few games. And I mean, what we saw was promising to say the least, but like I said before, you have to put a disclaimer on it. Who knows if he's even going to be able to be even that player. It's it's such a crucial injury that, I mean, John McGinn was a different circumstance when we lost him um, a few seasons back in the first season back in the league. But, I mean, look how long it took for him to come back and to even show some of the performances and consist- consistency that he had pre-injury um, what, I can't remember who we lost and lost them to when we were playing against. Was it Burnley? I can't remember. Or was am I just? I think it was. Scarred? I think McGinn was a bit early in that. I think it was Southampton just Maybe before it, Christmas. Yes, I knew it was around the holidays. I think I'm still um, <laughs> scared <laughs> about Wesley. Maybe that's what I'm probably thinking of. But uh, regardless of that, we still have him to come back in the summer, I believe. So who knows what, <laughs> what happens there? <laughs> Um, it's it, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the summer. But uh, regardless of that, let's go over to um, Twitter because, of course, around 15 to 20 minutes or so, I would say, post-match, we always try to put out a three-word review post and a bunch of you always get involved. So do uh, follow us at 7500 on Twitter and get involved with those. It's good fun to read out. Um, I love reading them before bed because some of them are 
just absolutely ridiculous. Some are massively inappropriate and are funny that I won't read out, but I do read them and I do enjoy most of them. And to the odd few nutters that just go way over the top, I, I, I see you. That's all I'll say. I can't comment any further because <laughs> then I'll become liable too. But uh, regardless of that, let's go with uh, FG10 saying, take the point. Um, Iron Boss says two points dropped. Uh, let's go to Nigel WV Scruffy point acceptable. Um, a fifth, a five, four, three, one R. I love when people put loads of numbers in their name, uh, <laughs> cheap penalty that, uh, Mark G could do better. Uh, Simon Palmer Watkins Ings essentially saying Watkins is better than Ings. Um, Ash Brown played well enough. The Villa chat hard to complain, um let's do three more because why not uh billy says take our chances gary plaza says not effing bad and why don't we finish with jazz singh says uh saying come back kamara um of course i miss him every time he doesn't play and uh i don't want to finish on a negative but uh we do want him back very actually no let's finish with this one because this one's important in terms of karma and us selling a striker in january and then playing soon after um rl3079 saying ings didn't score which i think is one of the main positives today let's be honest (laughs) Uh, very nice to see that he got applauded when he came off from the villa fans uh but thank god he didn't score because the narrative there uh regardless of walking scoring six and seven I'm sure there would have been a, a little portion just absolutely losing their mind. But Simon, I'm throwing you under the bus as I do with everybody. I need your three-word review, please. Good, solid point. I feel like that's going to be everybody's. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, scrolling through a lot of these, a lot of them are something about the penalty, about a point. Some are very annoyed. Some are okay with it. Um, it seems like everyone's kind of in the middle there. All I'll say is if I'm going to come up what with one is um, stay. Oh, that's four. Um, uh-huh. um, oh, gosh, I'm under pressure now and I'm really crumbling. Um, it's not nice, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> I, I, I've never felt this. Um, oh, I wish Duran scored because he did have a few chances. There you go. I'll go with that. Um, I I was massively panicking. I was thinking, do I say something about McGinn taking like a a 30, 40 yarder and absolutely blazing over or whatever else, but we got there in the end and that's all of that matters. So let's switch our uh, kind of point of focus or view over to some on loan players. It's not something we always talk about here on the Holt cast, but it's something I do want to bring up a little bit more. Um, I had some suggestions that people wouldn't mind hearing that kind of stuff in relation to Villa content as well. And of course, there are three on loan villains that of course came up clutch yesterday on Saturday, um, scoring goals, of course. Uh, Big Tim at QPR scoring to give them the the much needed 1-0 win. And of course, uh, Cameron Archer scoring as well. And uh, Aaron Ramsey, too, scoring four minutes apart. Aaron Ramsey in the 54th minute, Archer in the 58th. Um, You can say that's an absolutely about four or five minutes of excellency from Villa Academy products. 
And uh, there was a nice little stat here in terms of Aaron Ramsey's um, performance against Swansea in particular. He had one goal, three shots on targets, two chances created. He was six for six in successful dribbles, which is the most in the match. Six final third passes, one tackle, one, eight out of 13 ground uh, ground duels, one, which is most in the match as well, and one interception. So, Simon, does that make him the next star boy? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> it's, uh, it's certainly a good start, isn't it? I mean, Ramsey, Aaron Ramsey, I think he's he's someone that that's definitely there's a lot of promise and there's been a lot of talk about. So I mean, I, a couple of years ago, just when when Jacob was first starting to break through, and they were talking about the there's three Ramsey brothers, Aaron, and then there's another one younger whose name I can't quite remember. <clears throat> but all the talk at that time a couple of years ago was that although he was Jacob was obviously a couple of years older, was breaking into the bit of first team. The, the sort of chatter was that Aaron was the more highly rated one amongst the coaching staff. And, you know, he's obviously still got a lot to prove, a long way to go. But it, going to Middlesbrough, I think, was a really good move. It didn't quite work out for him at Norwich. I, I think he, he was hampered a bit there first half of the season. Because Norwich fans, never they, they weren't really on board with Dean Smith come the start of this, of this season. And I think they thought, oh, he's just got, you know, just someone that you know from Villa coming in, and then he had he got an injury there as well. I think so. Never kind of really got going, but since he's gone up to Middlesbrough and Michael Carrick's got them playing really, really well at the moment, and you know the what what a decent you know mid uh, manager to to learn off you know from a fellow midfielder. So it's yeah, it's a smart move, and he's I think he's got three goals in five games now for them. And then obviously Cameron Archer is you know, bagging as we all expected him to do. Uh, also, shout out to Louis Barry, who I think scored for Salford on Friday night. Oh, yes. But, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, the Archer and, and Ramsey, I, I think, are another two that obviously shining at the moment. They're doing really well. And sort of a quick look on Twitter last night. There's lots and lots of Middlesbrough fans tweeting stuff like, uh, Ramsey and Archer are useless. Bill would be better off just just giving them to us for nothing. We'll take them. It's all right. They're, they're no good. You don't want them back. <laughs> I think they're. I think they're starting to fall in love with the two of them up there. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting to see too, Simon. Because I mean, realistically, if I almost hope in a weird way that Burrow come up, because if they do, there's a good chance that 
those two could maybe go back there. Cause I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the summer. I think in regards to villain, we'll get probably, we'll probably talk about this so much, even heading into the summer prior to it as well. But like, it, it, it's hard to say if they break in next season or two seasons or three seasons for now, but regardless of that, they're proven. Oh, I mean, at least Archer is, I mean, Ramsey is starting to become proven in the championship, a proven performer. I should say at that. It, they're gonna they're gonna be sold if they don't work, and it's gonna be of a higher value. They really, I mean, as academy products, it, that's pure profit, and that's what Villa have to start adapting. And I think because at least as long as I can really remember, and of course you've been a Villa fan much longer than me. I mean, you're the wise head on the podcast, <laughs> of course. Um, but it's a it's almost a strange thing when it comes to Villa and the academy because we look at academy products that have come through and if they even have a little bit of marginal success and then come back to us, we think, okay, they have to start. But it's almost like for me that Villa fans have to also switch their mindset a little bit that as well as these players are doing, some of them still won't make it and they need to be sold on for profits to keep things turning over and to make profit to benefit the first team and every other kind of facet of, of the football club as well. So I think that's just as important, but kind of even getting to um, Big Tim's goal, and I always call him Big Tim because if I have to pronounce his name more than once on this podcast, <laughs> I will butcher it every single time. I, I don't know if you've seen his highlight, Simon. He literally drove from the halfway line, tried to play a through ball, got cut off. He picked it up again and then literally just ran around the Watford defense and tucked it um, on the opposite end of the Watford keeper. Um Amazing to see a, a defensive midfielder do that, or sometimes he does play a little bit further at QPR, I do believe a little bit higher up centrally. But it's important to note that his impact has also been, if anything, it's I feel like he's probably had the most pressure out of all of the loanees. Of course, we have this all these hopes and dreams with Archer um, coming back and scoring loads of goals and uh, being Villa's main man for years to come. But I mean... For the last decade plus, well, before uh, Kamara came in, we've always wanted that dynamic defensive midfielder that can break up play, move the ball, pass, and maybe even contribute with the odd goal. And I, I think slowly but surely we're getting that with Tim. Yeah, I think obviously last season he, he you know, made a couple of appearances and was taught to very highly by Gerard, wasn't he? So, and obviously he had the success. Uh, at the international level with the, the under 18s, under 19s. I can't quite remember which one it was. Um, so yeah, there's, and he's, he's done very well by all accounts at QPR so far this season. You, you know, there's been sort of lots of speculation about other clubs being interested in him as well. So he's, uh, yeah, he, he's definitely one that you think could possibly make an impact. Like you said, I, I think, and the model over the last few years, has sort of changed with the academy players and that that's certainly what we've done since the new ownership came in. I think our academy had been left to rot and I think the, the point you were making about there with the fans, how they feel about young players when they come back wanting them in, is because in in sort of like, certainly when I first started going like mid to late 90s, early noughties, we used to produce a lot of good young players that would come through into yeah. that first team. And that, that just doesn't happen so much anymore in football. It's, it's very, certainly in terms of like local lads, 
you know, as I say, we, we had quite a few like coming in and not always having, you know, long-term success at Villa, but would go on to have, you know, good careers and stuff. And those, uh, yeah, we were like seen as one of, one of the best up there with United, not, not on their same level in terms of caliber of players, but in terms of volume of players coming through and stuff like that, you know, we, it was, we were quite well known for, for bringing these young players through. And then, we just for fifteen odd years, it was basically it was just it was Gabby and Grealish were the only two that come through and made any sort of impact really, and it was that was really disappointing. So I think, from my point of view, and probably from a lot of Villa fans' point of view, it's just so refreshing to see how how much sort of focus and uh, real effort and intense and attention that, that the club are putting on the academy now. And like you say, because of the way sort of football works with the transfers and financial fair play, you you need to start thinking of, you know, getting these good young talented players, knowing full well that at best in so that FA Youth Cup winning team from the other year, I think we kind of said at the time, at best one or two will come in and break into that bit of first team. But the rest you can sell, and it's, and it's profit that 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 makes such a difference to to your spending power going ahead and for the next few seasons. And I think the fact we've made dedicated efforts to sort of get some of the best players from around the world, not just Europe, from around the world, really into that academy setup, knowing that there's a plan for them, whether it's in our first team or whether it's to sell, so that we've got money to go and benefit the first team. It's just it's just smart. Well, yeah, 100%. Like, you have to sit back and look at it. Like, this is the way I look at it specifically, like with Cameron Archer, for example. If it doesn't work out, it's a shame. But realistically, like I said, he's proven in the championship. If we did go to sell him, given how young he is, he's, I mean, even with the transfers down there now, he's easily at least 15 million in my mind. And yeah, that's a definitely. lot for someone that you've paid nothing for. And now you multiply that by maybe... I'm not. I'm not selling these players off, for example. But say if Aaron Ramsey doesn't work out, maybe he's the same, or whoever X Y Z, for example. You can use anyone for five million. Like it, it adds up. So yeah. if you had four or five players every year, and you're selling a few of them for five million, whatever it may be, a couple million, you could easily end up with twenty, thirty plus million pounds. That is a lot compared to what we've done in the past with the academy, like. I can think of pre-relegation, the amount of players that would just walk because yeah. they weren't good enough. And, I mean, even in the championship and coming back, it took us a little bit while to kind of start really investing um, in the youth setup and everything like that. But it, it's so important. And we're Villa as a club, are, we're so far behind the standard of where most other clubs are and it's nice to see it it, it coming up now but I mean one day all I can say is I hope I see all three Ramsey brothers in the Villa first team playing one game because that would be one incredible stat that's probably never happened (laughs) anywhere except for like I don't know like probably like the Norway third division or some mental 
thing like that. You know, I'm just picking that out as a uh, honestly. No, Norway was the first country that came into my head for some reason as well. No idea why. I was going to say Swedish to be honest, but it, I, I know we actually do have a few Swedish listeners based on the stats I get every week, so I didn't want to offend them, and I hope. They're doing very well um, in Sweden too. Um, but going from everything Norway and Sweden and going to the Villa women, and this is kind of what I want to finish the podcast on, because I did want to mention this last week, my bad, because I completely forgot to even mention it at the end of the podcast. But I mean, Villa women, I mean, the development and the progress from barely surviving, uh, not last season, the season prior building on it a little bit and now being fifth in the table table right now. I think uh, if I can actually scroll to this quick enough, I think it's something like they've only lost two of their last, I think 11 games and both of those. And I mean, keep in mind a couple of those or a few of those were cup matches as well. I think both of those were against Arsenal women's as well. So, I mean, that's something to really say. And when you look at the standings in particular, um, I think Arsenal have still a game in hand. I think they're currently beating Reading 1-0 at time of recording. So they would, if they win, go, I think, what, six points ahead. But Villa women are comfortably fifth right now. They're six points um, ahead of Everton in sixth. Will they get in the top four? I mean, that'd be a big ask. Uh, realistically, they, at this point in time, they could probably only really catch Arsenal unless City or United fall off. Uh, Chelsea are just basically a different standard to everyone else. But <laughs> I mean, it's a. Uh, I mean, you have to kind of just absolutely applaud that side this season and really the work that's gone into it over the last number of seasons, don't you, Simon? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've been following them quite a bit this season. I mean, because I. Years ago, I used to coach a girls' football team. So I kind of, like, ever since then, sort of took an interest in uh, the women's football, mainly sort of at international level. And then, obviously, in the England won the Euros in the summer and then Villa signed Rachel Daly. And I was like, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a really good signing. And then this season, like you say, they've, they've been, from where they've come from, I think fifth, where we are at the moment, that that is probably the limit for this season because we were so far behind those four clubs ahead of them. You know, they they've Arsenal, Man City, Chelsea in particular have really invested in their women's teams a lot over the years. And Villa again, up until the new owners came in, it was you know it wasn't even a second thought. It, it was uh, yeah, it was just quite bad really when you look back at it, but. But what they're doing now, the work they're doing, they, they play some really good football. The Kenza Dali midfield is a very, very talented footballer. Her and Rachel Daly up front have, have really got a good connection. Uh, they've had a Hampton. There was, I think, there's a couple of issues earlier on in the season, but never really got cleared up. She's back in the team now and sort of playing really well. They've um, they got Jordan Nobbs in in the January transfer window. Brilliant. Um, yeah, you know, absolute legend of the game. Uh, Hanson got a loan from Manchester United. She, she's had an excellent season, def- you know, defensively. That that was a real problem last season, that we, we weren't scoring enough goals. And so there was so much pressure on the defence. But, I mean, obviously now we've got the goal machine daily, we've got Darley supplying and so that defense is, is a bit more solid now as well and 
it's just it's really really impressive. Carla Ward's done an unbelievable job, and whenever whenever I listen to her post match interviews or it, like the pre match press conferences, she always speaks so well. Like I, I, similar to you, you know, Henry, I really love listening to them and what they've got to say, and so it's um like, it's brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I've watched a couple of games this season. I haven't haven't got down to one yet. I've seen a few on on the TV, but. Yeah, I definitely want to get down there because it's 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 great to watch and I it's great for the club. I know you get some fans and everyone has their own opinion. They you know some people go, oh, "I'm not interested in the women's football." Fair enough, it's not for you. It's not for you, but people are, and it's growing. And if you know people want to talk about it, why? If you're not interested, just ignore it. You don't need to comment on things saying, "I'm not interested." Don't show me this. Don't look at it. It's fine. Just just enjoy it. Let people enjoy it. It's Aston Villa. You know, we're, whether it's our youth team, our women's team, men's team, I support a lot of them. So, yeah, I'm absolutely buzzing with them at the moment. Well, like, and it, it's nice too because, I mean, it feels like every kind of aspect of the club is doing well in some way or another. And, I mean, I mean, the, the WSL, I mean, the literally the disparity between first being Chelsea and 12th being Leicester. I mean, Chelsea have what I think the goal differential of plus 27. They're on 37 points. Leicester are last. They have minus 25 goal differential and they're on seven points. They've only played 14 games each and there's a 30 point gap. Like that is mental, but that, that speaks to the investment. And like you said, I agree. I think fifth is probably, I don't know if it was the aim, but that's probably the peak of the powers this season. But what that does is summer investment. You'll get more interest in higher caliber players wanting to join. You can retain some of the players that either came in on loan or you thought, okay, maybe they'll come in for a season and then get another big move. It just, it gets that retention and it also gains attraction as well. And I think for what Villa are aiming to do, they've absolutely hit the nail on the head with the women's side. And the projection has been so much faster than I ever thought it would be. Because to be honest, their their first campaign in the top tier, I thought, okay, I mean, it's all right. But I didn't really think they were going to stay up based on how things were going. But I mean, from there, they really haven't looked back and they've made smart move after smart move. Yeah, I think think the the appointment of of Carl Awards after that first season uh, was was massive and then in and then in her first season last season I think in January it was I think like uh, Jill Scott came in to get fit for the Euros and someone like her I mean she's an absolute legend of the women's game brilliant footballer but just the the level of I think she her coming in I think raised the standards amongst the players and the level of professionalism and then you know they, they see someone like Jill Scott come in and see her working hard day in, day out, and they think, right, this is where we need to get. And then I think I think her coming in probably helps in Rachel Daly coming in in the summer, which then translates to Jordan Nobbs coming in in January. And like you say, yeah, it's the higher calibre players getting in, Kenza Daly uh, coming in the summer. So, yeah, you know, I think fifth this season would be a great achievement, and I think more than capable of of, of getting that. And then, yeah, in the summer, go again, invest again, and, and see what you can do. Absolutely. It's 
it's just great to see, like I said, all things are really coming up Villa. There's uh, managers, coaches, whatever you want to, you want to kind of label them as, I mean, they're experienced heads. They're at the top of their game. They know what they're doing. We're in good hands all throughout the academies succeeding. Like I said, we've kind of covered everything. The players on, on loan are doing very well for the majority as well. Um, it's just a really good time and it's frustrating to get, kind of get back to the men's side of things as it can be to be in like deadlocked absolutely in 11th place we're eight points ahead of basically 12th and below which thank god because that anyone from 12th and below could go down it's an absolute slog i have no clue what's going to happen there i would not want to be part of that and i don't know about you simon but just to kind of before we we kind of wrap this up and uh, leave things as it is it's so nice to look at a relegation scrap that could be one of the biggest in terms of the amount of teams in it and almost just enjoy that drama and not have to be a part of it and think, well, that's fun. You know, we'll, we'll be comfortable. We'll have our, our, uh, our little snack before bed and watch the highlights <laughs> and uh, our cookies and milk, if you will. Um, and, and dream of ambitions for the future. It's, it's brilliant. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it, it's kind of, it's one of those, Again, where you can get confused looking at the table, and you see a sitting eleventh, like you can think, "Oh, eleventh, but we're closer points wise to Liverpool in sixth than we are to Crystal Palace, who are one place below us in the league." So that that should tell you everything you need to know about the position that we're in. And yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think you can make a compelling case for any three of those nine teams to go down and. Yeah, thank God that we're we're looking looking onwards and upwards, and it's all it's all going smoothly at the moment. Well, it's for me, it's funny, and this is probably one of the last things I'll say for this podcast because I always say we'll wrap up and then I ramble on, but that's just me. Um, I'm sure if Tom's <laughs> listening, and just to mention him, if he was here, we'd probably be here for another hour because we all just love to ramble. But it, it's funny how within the matter of, um, I think maybe he even put out the stat on his Twitter by the time we hit. Um, the Bournemouth game, we've only conceded like, I think a goal in a month. And of course that's only a few games, but it's crazy mm-hmm. to think that within that month, we've really closed that gap from everyone below us. We're now looking up and I'm just looking at the table, uh, 26 games played goal differential minus, minus seven. You'd want that to be better. Of course, it needs to be better if we want to get any further, uh, 35 points, uh, same games played as Chelsea with two points ahead of us. Uh, Brentford, of course, and Fulham both lost. We have a game in hand on Fulham. They're on 39 points, so four points ahead of us. Brentford have a game in hand as well, uh, but they're only on 38. So, I mean, realistically, um, I I couldn't be more pleased compared to where we were at the start of the season because it was an absolute mess. Yeah, well, I mean, I was just going to say, when you think where we were when we finally sat Gerrard to be from where we were then to the position in the table now and sort of the, the gap we put between us and everyone below us. It's remarkable, really. It, like, it genuinely is. And I, I think I don't think that should be overlooked. It will be amongst a lot of people. Uh, a lot of the fan base, you know, football fans in general can often have short memories. But I I genuinely think it's, it's worth, you know, really overstating just how perilous a position we were in. So to be where we are now and still have a more than realistic chance of, of finishing in the top half of the table, I, I think 
I, I don't I don't see how you can be annoyed, but someone will find a reason to be. <laughs> oh, of course. It's uh it's football. We're all fickle. I mean, we're going literally from days of getting I mean, pumped by uh Newcastle and Fulham and seeing how well they're doing this season, and now we're right there with them sharing those ambitions. Um, I mean, maybe not Newcastle so much because they're fighting for the top four, which is still mental in my mind. But regardless of that, there's, I mean, the progress under Emery, and we've said this a million times, so I'll keep this brief. It's been so refreshing and it's so nice to go into every game and I'm not ridiculously stressed. Now, sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm mm. a little frustrated. But like I said, we're football fans. If 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 we were pleased with every single move, every single passage of play, I don't think there would be football fans at the end of the day. We need something to bitch and moan about, or we'd be probably annoyed at having nothing to bitch and moan about. But uh, anyway, Simon, I think we'll wrap things up there because we've definitely went on for more than long enough. So thank you very much for joining me. If you want to find Simon on Twitter, it's at Cy O'Regan. Uh, find me on Twitter at Talk Aston Villa. Tweet the team at 7500 to Holt. You can email us um, if you have anything you want us to read out, share your opinions in regards to the podcast, Holtcast at gmail.com, of course, and check out the website, www.7500toholt.com as well. I think we should actually have a Bournemouth preview out, um, so I'm not going to lie this time and say there w- uh, there will be and there won't be. Um, but to be fair, we did do a Twitter spaces, so I guess I didn't lie there, but we should have a Bournemouth preview out, and Seb should be back for that, so keep an eye out for that. I'm assuming on probably Thursday, if not first thing Friday morning. And then, of course, we'll be back for some post-match chatter in regards to Bournemouth. Hopefully, it's a positive result. Hopefully, we're dreaming of even greater things heading into a little bit of a break after that. But regardless of that, and don't forget, up the villa. We're going up. We're going up.